No, it just it really annoys my dad, Chinch, because he used to love watching Ryan Giggs, and but it always it would frustrate him every time he watched him. What generally, or when he played? Just he you know he used to follow him around. Oh, he? okay, yeah, in, yeah, like in, the Arndale Centre and things like that. In the Arndale, yeah, to the swimming baths. Oh dear. The just not not, not he let him change. Okay. Good. But the um, Good. just used to follow him around. So your father was never naked with Ryan Giggs. That's what we're saying. He's probably naked in the same space <laughs> as Ryan Giggs, but but not not aggressively so. Okay, carry on. How do you be aggressively yeah. naked? Well, Whoa, well. you wait and see. <laughs> I think we all know how to be aggressively naked. Hang on a minute. What am I waiting to see? That's a good you point, wait though. and see. Anyway, just carry do, on. Do it in a, in a space where so it's not dad, appropriate. Your dad and Ryan Giggs in trunks. Go. <laughs> Trun- speedos. Go. The um, this is funnier for me because I, I know what my dad looks like. The he used to get really annoyed watching him because w- wonderful player. But he'd say, "Well, why why on earth does he not ever kick with his right foot?" And it used to annoy him that he, he has he, Randy had, had all that time as a professional footballer, twenty years or whatever, and no one ever took him aside and said, "Ryan, you know that left foot of yours? You've got another one on the other side. Do you think you might, might like to make it make it a bit less terrible?" If it had been a second left foot on the other side, it might have been. <laughs> Wouldn't a have been a problem. Yeah. But then you see him dance past eighteen players to score. It's probably a bit harsh to say you can use your other leg. You know, Ryan. That, in that goal, he used both feet. Which goal? In that goal that you're accidental talking about, him touch. Da- dancing past eighteen. I think one was an accidental touch. No, it's a little ding, the ding, other, ding, ding. The mm. other thing about that goal, which was replayed a lot a few weeks ago when, when Arsenal played United in the cup, is that goal's not as good as everyone remembers it. There, there were not many challenges. That's true, but all the, I, I thought that to the extent that when I watched it from the angle of the Arsenal goal, so he's coming towards you, it became better than I'd previously mm. downgraded it to. Oh, don't get me wrong. Um, because of the, the, the dink, dinks, dink, dinks. Um, don't get me wrong. At the it's top it, of the box. It is a goal that neither I nor Chinch could have scored. Well, we've ascertained well, that you can score it. Used his right foot. But I'd have done a little dink because I can do little dinks, but not long dinks or dink. accurate dinks with my right foot. Okay. And also, Ryan Giggs' goal was made even more special by the, the hairiness of the chest. Yes, that's true. If he, he, good job he took his shirt off because it would have it would have sullied the moment otherwise. Is that goal remembered more fondly and more kind of as more of a milestone because the celebration yes, is so iconic? Yes, absolutely. And your dad would know very well that that's the case because he would have witnessed the hairy chest of Ryan Giggs in the small space of Close up. being aggressively naked in the swimming baths. He wasn't aggressively naked. That's a good topic for maybe a pod. And we can stretch out for a pod. Famous celebrations or our favourite celebrations of goals. Is, is there enough to work with? It would certainly be enough for a YouTube brief, wouldn't Excellent. it? Excellent. I'm just glad you weren't going that aggressively naked was a good topic for a... <laughs> if I played now, menu. I would definitely celebrate by being aggressively naked. This is Set Piece Menu, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. The food is on... Um, what do you call that, Stephen? In, in, in the central it's a island? table. Because it's not actually an island. It's, in it's, it's a peninsula. It's a peninsula. A peninsula. Or, or breakfast bar in layman's It's a kitchen peninsula. A Kitchen Peninsula, which on, on, on it has a collection of cheese and meats, um, two uh, beers, which uh, are a gift from me oh, yes, thank uh, you to for Stephen, um, from the, imported from Vietnam uh, and sold at a local, chi- uh, a local Vietnamese restaurant, um, and some homemade chutney from um, Kate's. Kate's no, I, I, I don't know anything about the because ch- I've been at work this morning, so I just made sure there was meats and cheeses in the fridge awaiting your arrival. But Katie has very kindly laid it all out, yeah. so the chutney is news to me. When we got here, Katie said Steve wanted to do something really simple as she took the meats and cheeses out of the fridge, and it occurred to me that Steve had done something so simple he'd not done anything at all. Yeah, I so went to the supermarket, I placed <laughs> it in the fridge to keep it fresh, and show a little bit of gratitude, because there is Wensleydale amongst the cheese selection, which, as I understand it, if you have someone over from Yorkshire, there has to be Wensleydale amongst the cheese I am very grateful, 
I'm just grateful to Katie, not to you. <laughs> and when we arrived, Katie, she did say to us privately, very disappointed in your lack of interest in the chutney. Okay, you take the kids to school, you read them bedtime stories, but when are you going to take an interest in the damn chutney? Well, particularly because I, I'm sure, and I'm, I don't want to misquote Katie, I'm sure she said that it was her in-laws who made it. Yes, it, it is um, her stepmom who, who made the chutney. Oh, right, okay. It's oh, was this new to you as well? Yes, that is also <laughs> And there were some expletives in there as well, which we, there we, were, we can't yes, really It's, it's a new fridge. I've not explored all corners of it yet. Uh, joining me, Hugh Ferris, are Rory Smith, Super High, Stephen Wyeth, Super Fly, and Andy Hinchcliffe. Super dry. Um, you can get in touch with the podcast via at Setpiece Menu on Twitter, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. The conversation continues on Facebook. Just search for Setpiece Menu. Thank you for all your tweets and emails and offers of work for Chinch. Oh, yes. As well. Uh, we've become his uh, agent. TV work. Uh, well, how's that going? Great. Can, I've can had a chat with anything? Sam from Avalon. Very interesting concept. Yeah. We're yeah. going to get together, brainstorm it, do some blue sky thinking, <laughs> find out how much they're going to pay me, and then I might possibly do it. <laughs> do, do, uh, do, do, do the people who go door-to-door selling cosmetics? Uh, yes. I was yes. Gonna, does, does Sam from Avalon know that he's going to have to invest heavily in Revlon to make Chinchin <laughs> Uh, a lot of responses to our episode last week about how some players are treated differently and how that manifests itself significantly in the assessment of whether those players dive or not. Uh, firstly, from the gentleman who actually contributed to the debate, Dr. Mohammed El Salah, uh, who tweeted us to say, So, at Setpiece Menu, just use my idea for their latest podcast. I must have looked like a lunatic on the bus when I heard what the topic was. Also, what makes you think I'm from the US? Because we did say he was a doctor from the US. Uh, first off, I'm Canadian. I'm based in Abu Dhabi. And he tweeted it from Manchester. Uh, so my fault, strange assumption based probably on another doctor that has got in touch before at some point from America. Do we have any doctors listening in America? I don't Aren't know. Canadians basically Americans or not? That would be something that you will have to take up with uh, Messrs. Trudeau and Trump. Okay. Um, this or Thomas Rosinski. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who could do I will. both? Uh, this email comes from Ahmed Youssef. Um, Hi, guys, he says. He's emailed before. Um, he has, and yeah. he very in- intelligently emails once again mm. uh, to, to make this point about last week's um, episode. Um, it's difficult for us to respond to it. We will just let his point of view uh, sit there in the ether for a while, and you can come to your own conclusions about whether you agree or not. Uh, I enjoyed your chat on the podcast about how certain players are discussed in football. I would say the comments are racist rather than racial. We talked about the fact that it might be racial rather than racist because of the um, the intent of the person saying these comments, the, uh, the lazy analysis, if you like, of certain black players in football Um, because Ahmed says the word racial doesn't particularly mean anything racial stereotypes are born out of racist ideas in culture and society for example the idea of hyper and oversexed black masculinity stems from notions that black bodies were not human but rather animals Uh, Ahmed mentions the Lukaku chant that uh, Manchester United some Manchester United fans uh, sang Still sing? I'm not sure that they do necessarily as much anymore. I don't think I've heard it for a while. All I've heard it from Manchester United fans for about three weeks is, is the Stone Roses Waterfall one, which is very good, but will get weary. Uh, also, the narratives, says Ahmed, surrounding the bodies of black footballers are much lar- larger than just how their attributes are reduced. And he gives three examples. It is the number of people who have commented on Paul Pogba's haircuts over the time that particularly he's been at Manchester United, the commentary surrounding Jesse Lingard's fashion line before the Manchester United game against Liverpool, and the obvious treatment of Raheem Sterling, something that we mentioned at length last week. A lot of the commentary of black players seems in this sense as an attempt of control, uh, says Ahmed, a control that is produced and coordinated by a largely white media establishment and punditocracy. That's, um, yeah, we, uh, we, that's a very eloquent email, as you say. The, the hair thing's interesting. It never occurred to me. Do we only talk about black players' hair? Do we talk about white players' hair? Sergio Guerrero's hair got a bit of a mention, didn't it, when he but bleached it's, it? But it's, al- it's always a kind of, oh, that's a curiosity. Whereas, like, Paul Podba has genuinely been criticised for having yes, as opposed unusual to a, a haircut, which is to suggest his largesse for yeah. some Well, he had the blue hair for the Manchester derby, which 
didn't yeah, go down particularly well. I think well that, yeah, that was a that was a hangover from some advertising campaign or from France or something, wasn't uh, it? Yes, and then he went on to score two goals and yes. Manchester United yeah. won. So almost as though what what you've done with your hair is is not directly related to performance, which will throw the whole science of analytics Hang on a way minute. out we, of whack. You need at least eight mail, emails on that to to prove that point. Are there any white players who are criticised for their haircut? I'll leave that as a rhetorical question, unless we can answer it immediately. The Chris Waddle. That would have been legitimate. The Ian Marshall's mullet, also legitimate for the same reasons. <laughs> but not no one that no one said our oh, Chris Waddle's haircut is so bad it must be detracting from how he plays football. I, I think you just finished it. Chris Waddle's haircut is so bad. Not now. It looks oh, really no, 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 now. it's acceptable now. The, the the Lindard clothing line one though I take slight issue with. Not that the general point isn't right, but I think th- I don't know if that's rooted in in racism or racialism or whatever. It, is the is the more accurate term so much as a belief that players should not be allowed to have extracurricular activities and when they are and they're not playing well that they then become a stick to beat them with that that's not a legitimate line of criticism for Lingard at all because a lot of the people making that criticism used to spend all of their Tuesday afternoons getting hammered which I would suggest is is a worse way for a professional athlete to spend their time than running a clothing line but I don't I think I think a white player would be criticized for that as well I, th- I think often the juxtaposition is positive or negative depending on timing. And that very yep. much played a part, I would imagine, yep. in some of those assessments. Thank you very much indeed for uh, that email, Ahmed. And Christian Barber tweeted, um, at Seppi's Menu, just caught up on the latest pod. Do you think that the way in which black slash white players are described in the media, pace, power versus skill technique, as we discussed last week, affects the number of opportunities for BAME players trying to then make their way into management? So yes. um, the subtext there is that because they are not considered, black players are not considered to be as intelligent as non-black players, that perhaps they won't be able to therefore translate any skills into management. Yeah, I think that's, prob- I think that, that's probably a factor. There are other factors in play as well, but I think that probably is, is a relevant one. And finally for now, from Andrew Kowalski, who noted that sales of Rory's book might take a I'm sudden increase yes. after the author of Fifty Shades of Grey, E.L. James, announced the name of her new saucy novel will be... The Mister. But disappointingly, it's not about Fred Pentland. Uh, which is upsetting. Um, but also, I'd imagine it would be The Mister, not The Meester. Well, mine was just Meestead in that voice. Without That's the how the, you pronounce without it. Without, the there, was no, there was no definite article. It, but I am hoping that people who are going on, on their online bookstores and what have you, looking for their, their saucy, kind of kinky books... We'll find mine first, as it's, it's very much... That's, I mean, the plots sound very similar. How, how far through your book do you think they'll need to get before they realise they've made a mistake? Well, I think my book is so erotic yeah. that they may not. That what might give it away is that it's quite well written, whereas in my, <laughs> my, my understanding is that E.L. James's penmanship is not necessarily her strength. So if you were to make a fortune from people clicking the wrong book and meaning to buy yep. the saucy one, accidentally buying yours, would it bother you at all if the money no. came rolling in from accidental clickage? No. But do you know what's interesting about that slightly sarcastic comment, Chinch? <laughs> it wasn't at all. It, this is going to happen. Do you, you, will, to? you will get some book sales from people ordering the wrong book. Hopefully. Yes. yes. But you will still take that money, go to the Caribbean and enjoy yourself. It is my understanding. You will think twice about it. That I would like to sunshine break this year. And I do have a friend in Portugal but who never invites me to stay at, their, at his flat. Uh, anyway, two bedrooms and the, uh, we're not letting you stay in the second one. The, um, I'm not joining, not joining you in the first. <laughs> Don't be aggressive. well, <laughs> Don't aggressively, be aggressively naked. Chinch <laughs> in the main bedroom. No, so the, the Amazon algorithm that puts you in the charts. You know how we found out, we found with the podcast that in, in those first few weeks when we launched all those years ago that we were, we were top or like third, and we would be like, oh my God, this is easy. We have got 
so many people, tens of thousands of people downloading immediately. And it turned out that, no, we hadn't. It's just a trick that the iTunes chart plays to try and get new podcasts. And, and also, the difference Hang- between naught and many thousands yeah. is less, or is more, than yeah. many thousands to slightly more many so thousands. So are you trying to tell me that we weren't immediately incredibly popular? We were not immediately the most popular football podcast in Britain. Could you have no. not broken this to me a little bit more gently? We are also now nowhere near the most popular football <laughs> podcast in Britain. Which every single new football co- podcast in Britain who thinks that they are the most popular for about two weeks, yeah. unfortunately comes to reality. All of those podcasts that distrust the latest events in the game. All of them. All of them. All of them. But anyway, no. It's so not th- about being the most popular. It's about being the best. That's true. And we're still third. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> no, the, um, the Amazon algorithm takes into account actual sales, obviously, but it also takes into account how many times people se- search for or click on you- the link of your book. So although you, I, I've never sold very many books because it's, it's not that good, the... Um, the the fact that E.L. James has written a book of a similar title might mean that some people do erroneously click, and that might help it s- surge up the charts again and shift two or three more copies, thus yeah. trebling my sales. But there, there's also on on Amazon, there's going to be you know some people searching for the Mister, but then there's always the ones which are nearly yeah. what you've searched for, so it must come there. And I just wonder if there's a you could maybe try and appropriate something of what E.L. James has managed to do by getting some sort of erotic audiobook version of Mister. Or just me reading it. Or just you. That would be pretty erotic. Else Who is, does the audiobook of, of Fifty Shades of Grey? There is nothing more, probably someone from Leeds. There is, <laughs> there is nothing more erotic than a middle class Yorkshire accent. You can get in touch with any suggestions of who might be able to do the erotic version of Rory's audiobook, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Alan Bennett. Terry Hardcastle. Terry, Terry Hardcastle. Of course. Do you think Terry Hardcastle reading E.L. James's Fifty Shades of Grey would be? Would <laughs> that work? might be a little bit better. Damn sexy. Yeah. 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 Um, our conversation today on Set Piece Menu is about this. I don't agree that winning a trophy helps a club. That only builds your ego. In reality, the most important thing is being consistently in the top four and playing in the Champions League. Those are the words of Arsene Wenger after an eighth trophyless season ended in 2013. No, hang on. Those are the words of Maurizio Pochettino after the trophyless millstone around his neck got a little heavier. Spurs were knocked out of both domestic cup competitions in the space of four days. And in response, Pochettino claims that trophies just build egos. Is that a reflection simply on his own situation, one that he's trying to spin, or a reflection on the FA Cup and League Cup and how they simply aren't as important as consistent Champions League football, a case made by none other than Arsenal's Arsene Wenger for so long across North London. In fact, on an email to setbeesmenu at gmail.com, Dominic Booth wonders this, should we scrap the FA Cup? No, seriously, should we scrap it? It seems that two cup competitions is pretty redundant now with fixture congestion, etc. And the League Cup is just, says Dominic, a more welcome and interesting competition due to its timing. No extra time, and even the two-legged semi-finals are good fun. Time to merge the competitions, he asks. What are the merits of keeping them both? A drastic measure, perhaps, from Dominic, and others might suggest scrapping the latter, not the former competition. But in the inevitable period in January of FA Cup third and fourth round upsets, while there's magic in the air, there's also a suggestion that a lot of Premier League clubs simply don't care about the FA Cup. So it appears it's not just an issue for those chasing a Champions League spot. So, is Maurizio Pochettino right? Do trophies only really matter for a club's ego? Well, the argument that you always hear about why in the modern, in the modern age about the cup mattering is that Mourinho and Mancini line of if it gets you into the right frame of mind, it, it turns players from people who want to win things into a team that have won something. It gives you a taste and much like a vampire, you then want more of it. So I would ask Chinch, a man who won one trophy and then no more, whether... whether charity Shield. <laughs> Did you win the Charity Shield? Yes. 
So do you want to do you want to so think of that? Do you want to make that sentence a bit more understandable? Okay, so I'm, Chin, not, I'm Chin, Jose Mourinho. We're the only two people that consider the Charity <laughs> Shield to be a major competition. Charity Shield is a major. Ch- the trophy's massive. It is. So a, it must be a big competition. In terms of size, it is a major trophy. It is. The um, so as a man who won one competitive trophy and also the Charity Shield, <laughs> <laughs> did it did did it change your mentality? Yeah, but I was never a winner, was I? When I won something, I felt slightly fortunate to have won something and knew it was very much a one-off. So with, with teams like Tottenham, they are more than capable of winning things. So is this just purely a deflection to say, well, we're maybe not good enough or we don't feel that, that winning that competition would do us any... How can, it, how can it be bad or wrong to win a competition? What, what it does for your player... Okay, it might inflate egos a little bit, but how is that... How is winning something I mean, it's, a bad thing? It's probably worth saying that in, in the example that Rory gave as a former footballer who has won one significant trophy, there's no sense really uh, that that inflated that person's ego in any way to, to be measured by the fact that he doesn't really talk about it nope. very much. There's a, there's no. a lot of humility. No, d- yeah. um, and yeah. so in, in doing that, there was certainly no ego built. Wasn't it as if I occasion. won the FA Cup and not Everton? I've no. never, ever... Never said that. Never, never. I don't, think, I don't think Pochettino meant it inflates your egos. I think he meant that it's something that that allows you to kind of parade yourselves as winners and say, aren't we great? But it doesn't necessarily turn the club into something else. And I think... I think that's what he was driving at. It's it's something that's nice for you as a manager or as a player that, to say you've done it. But in in for the club as a whole, his point of view is that it doesn't actually have any, make any material difference. So with the example of Everton, did you feel different the season after in 1995-96 to how you did in 91? I'm guessing that you, you, finished mid, you finished mid-table again. We did, yeah, yeah. comfortably <laughs> free of relegation. Uh, but then you play in European football. Yeah, you do. You do feel, well, it's bound to make you feel good. Mm. But I wouldn't say we, we didn't have the type of player that would have got carried away. Barry Hall. We, we, bar- mm. we, we wouldn't have got <laughs> carried away with the, with the way we were set up, the, the people we had in charge. They, they wouldn't have allowed that to happen. And we weren't the type of players to have maybe behaved like that. But it does. It, 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 you feel good. Of course you feel good. Well, why wouldn't you? Different you know, question. When you win the FA Cup on your own, you're bound to feel good the following season. Different but question no, yeah. then. Mm. So you played at Everton with Neville Southall. I did. Who was a winner. Yes. Neville had won European league, league trophies titles and, league and European trophies. Yeah. Neville Southall was very much a winner. Yeah. Was his mentality... I know he dressed like a bin man, but was his mentality different to everybody else's because of that experience? I, I wouldn't say so. He, he didn't, uh, from what I heard of the kind of person he was during the great... Everton success years and how he was when, when I was there. There was no discernible Those years being 94 to 95. 94 to 95. 95 in particular yeah. was a very good year. The FA, have I mentioned the FA Cup? <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, I, I, he was, again, that was more, and I was there with Kevin Ratcliffe again, who was captain yeah, of that yeah. team. And to me, they were just, and maybe that was their personalities. I don't know whether different types of personality would get a bit more carried away and a bit more full of themselves. But the, those two in particular, and the other guys that had, that had won things there as well, I, I didn't notice anything different about them. Des Walker must have won stuff. Um, did he? He was in the Forest team that yeah. lost the FA Cup final to Spurs in, in 1991. Did, did Forest not win loads of League Cups in the early 90s? Uh, yes, seven. late 80s, late eight, yes. early 90s. So yes, okay. So he but he didn't win the, the Charity Cup. Shield, so... So does you it know. count? No. What about the, the idea, though, that Rory was suggesting that winning a trophy drives you on to more success? Yeah. Is there not also the, the danger that you win a trophy, no one can take that away from you, you will forever be an FA Cup winner? So the you FA almost Cup feel winners, like yeah. at, at that point... You, <laughs> 
trying to make a serious point here, Chich, Sorry, that, that you've peaked and that you no longer need to prove yourself. Is that maybe what Ma- Maurizio Pochettino is trying mm. to get at, that, that winning the FA Cup doesn't necessarily make his Spurs team successful? But do you ultimately, do you ultimately believe it? what he's saying no. is, is what he truly believes? You need to if use he, the microphone, Steve. No, if, if, he were to win, if he were to win a competition, then, of course, the next season is whether you can repeat it. and repeat. That's what the great sides, Arsenal, Chelsea, Man United, the mentality of those players was to strive to repeat that and, and prove yourself again and again as winners. So I just don't really... I, to me, I don't really understand where this is coming from because it's kind of winning, qualifying for the Champions League. It's kind of achieving things without seemingly winning, really winning anything. But surely the process is the same because you've dotted it over the. If you're in a battle for fourth, which Spurs look like they are in this year, and, and they have been a couple of times previously, I know that there have been times when they've when they've qualified for the Champions League comfortably and not quite challenged for the title properly. You're still, you know, you're still under that same pressure. You still have a, a defined target. You're not drift. Your season's not drifting into mid-table so, mediocrity. So, which is harder to finish in the top four for Tottenham to finish in the top four or to win the FA Cup or win the League Cup? Which is genuinely harder to do? Would you say finishing in the top four? Well, winning a cup is harder because you haven't got an entire season in which to get it right. You would, you know, as we've all in the SPM. PL, PL mm-hmm. table probably predicted Spurs to finish in the top four. Most people have. Yeah. So the assumption would be over the course of a 38-game season that they will achieve that. Whereas obviously in the cup, you're relying on a little bit of luck over the course of five or well, six Well, there's, the, there's the draw as well. There's the random yeah. element of the draw. So you, you look at until, until the one show on, on the Monday night, you, you're probably looking at Man United thinking, do you know what, they've got a, real, a really good chance of winning this FA Cup. And they still have a good chance of winning the FA Cup, but they have to go away to Chelsea first, having already played at Arsenal. So it's harder to finish in the top four in the league because that is the truest test. But it's, it's a more arbitrary process whether you can win the Cup. And I think that is why a lot of clubs don't necessarily like it. But it's also why managers like to assign success to that because it, because it is a better representation of them being consistently good or make, making their team consistently good. They are aware, and even Pep Guardiola, who has the, the resources that he has and he has the team that he has, he knows that there is a, a, an element of complete arbitrariness. Yeah. Is that a thing? Arbitrariness that, that inflects cups, that if you get drawn against a team who are good away from home or you get, sent off, you get a player sent off as what happened to Manchester City last year in the game against Wigan. They had Fabian Delft sent off and game plan was less able to be pursued. And so these things can happen. So whilst it is harder to be able to consistently finish fourth, it is also harder, using a different definition of the word, to be able to win a cup because only one team can win it. Four teams can qualify for the Champions League. Only one team can win it. And you have to have a certain element of luck going your way to build your case so that you can win a trophy. I'm not sure that establishing which is harder is a particular, and this isn't meant as a criticism change, but I'm not sure. I'm just trying to say they're different competitions. But again, if you set your mind to it, to me, I always feel that finishing in the top four for Tottenham is obviously achievable. And he's saying finishing in the top four is, is what we're aiming for every season. But to me, with the squad that you have and the way that you play, that to me seems, well, that should be kind of taken for granted. Can you then develop into a cup-winning team, which Tottenham always had that mm-hmm. um, has historically That's have been doing, a, yeah. a cup side. So you have to then prove yourself as a good coach in a cup competition. How do you approach a cup competition? Yes, all these things happen away from home. It can be difficult, lower league teams. If Everton can win it, even though I basically won it for them, if Everton can win it, you can't tell me that Tottenham... Can't go, can't no, go no. all the way and, and he can show how good a coach is in a cup competition rather than a league basis. Tottenham, I have many thoughts on this subject. This is going to annoy you intensely throughout. No, I love it. The, <laughs> the problem that Tottenham had this year is that... So the league, they don't have the League Cup and the FA Cup in four days. The League Cup, they really tried 
they went out on penalties to Chelsea. They didn't lose that game. They didn't bottle anything. They were narrowly beaten in the narrowest possible way by a team that is a little bit worse than them. It ha- that happens. That's and not they were without three of their best players as well. And th- Well, that's what I was coming on to. Oh, they, good, they, then, just, yeah. they then get a tricky FA Cup draw against the Crystal Palace team who, all right, they're bottom end of the Premier League, but they are a Premier League team. They and they are some, capable of beating some, somebody like Spain. Yeah, who com- are coming off, what, a month beforehand they'd beaten City at the Etihad and a few days beforehand had gone really close to beating Liverpool at Anfield. And Spurs have to do it. Chinch is making a face. That he is, but Spurs, have to, to, team Spurs have to do it without Kane, medium. without Ali, and without Son. So it, if Pochettino had at his disposal either those three players or three players of equivalent standard because they'd spent some money in the summer, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation based around his comments. So I think that with Spurs and this year Liverpool, to an extent, in the Cup, you have to kind of hold your hands up and say, all right, do you know what, these things happen. Because that game, if Spurs had been drawn against AFC Wimbledon at home, Spurs would have gone through. Just as if Liverpool had put out the team they put out against Wolves against the team that wasn't seventh in the Premier League, they probably would have gone through it. And you wouldn't get this criticism of they're not taking the Cup seriously. The problem is that they have an approach to the Cup and then the draw does not favour them. So I don't, I'm not particularly angry with Pochettino for naming a weakened team. I'm not sure how much of a stronger side he could have put out. There's one or two changes he could have made. But there's not a vast amount else that Spurs have got. The, to me, this whole conversation, this whole subject, is approached on both sides from the wrong angle. And the one thing I want to say about the the let's win a trophy and we'll win more trophies. Who's won the cup in the last few years? Arsenal twice, United Chelsea. twice and Chelsea. Yeah. None of them have gone on to win anything. That Arsenal team won loads of, won, won the FA Cup twice and Apart from the, the FA Cup again. They then won the FA Cup again, but it didn't suddenly catapult them into being it's not a magic there's it's presented as I say, I think there's a lot of wrong thinking. It's presented as if you win a tournament, a, a domestic cup because of what Jose Mourinho says, you will win the lead soon after. No, no, it doesn't work no, like that. Absolutely, no. I, 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 I would never ever, ever say that. No, but that's how, that's how it's framed. As, no, I'm not saying that any of you would say that, but that's how that conversation is framed, that it's almost a guarantee. It isn't. No. If you win the cup, what it proves is that you've won the cup mm. and it maybe gives you a better chance of winning the cup again as you know but, how to do it. But winning the cup is better than not winning the cup. And that, that, that's, that's the point they're trying to yes. make. If, if you're saying there, are, there is a natural chaos of events which you've described about Spurs going out of the two cup competitions. But if you are a team of a certain stature that is able to achieve a top four finish regularly, should you not also be able to overcome these small bumps, smaller bumps, than achieving great things over a 38-game season in the Premier That's one of the main problems with Pochettino's comment, is that he should be able to combine those two challenges. And the other thing that he's lost sight of a little bit, and so too have those managers of mid-table Premier League sides who have decided to rest players and ended up getting knocked out of the competition, the likes of Leicester, Everton and West Ham in the, the third and fourth round between them, is that winning trophies is what fans want, what fans remember, and what surely defines both the club and those involved in terms of their careers, whether that's a manager or a player. At the moment... Case study, Andrew Hinchcliffe. Yes. Andrew Hinchcliffe Hi is, there. is an S- FA Cup winner. You and can't he bangs on about away it. From, away from... We don't, you, you don't reflect on a, a manager's time in, in the Premier League and talk about how regularly they qualified for the Champions League. I you think will you talk do. about well, uh, yeah, but, but the end trophies of are still more important than that. What, you, what did you say? What did you say? When 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 Arsene Wenger left Arsenal, you say won the league this amount of times, won the FA Cup this amount of times, won the League Cup never. But they that's that's how you list things. And why you, did Arsene Wenger lose his job at Arsenal? Because he didn't qualify for the Champions yeah. League. But that is of the moment. What in twenty years' yeah. time will you be listing? You won't be listing the fact that he qualified for the Champions League 20 years in a row. I know it's a significant achievement, 
But that's not the thing that you will be defining ah, him by. This, this is where I think that, so the, this is the example of wrong thinking on the side of people who think we should all value the cup more. And I'm totally neutral on this. So what you hear a lot is we should take the cup seriously because you can win something and it's, it's, it's a chance to put a kind of a firm, concrete, kind of real achievement, crowning glory type thing on your CV. And it goes well, on the Wikipedia honours yeah. bit. And Whereas, that, and that's oh, obviously you, what matters. It's only it's only TV money or finishing the top four. It's you know no one remembers who finishes fourth. What fans want, I agree, is a team that wins trophies, whatever those trophies are. I think that's completely right. What fans need to do that is a t- is resources to build that team. How you acquire those resources is by finishing in the top four. That's how you get players in. So there's there's this idea that, that's taken hold, and I hope this isn't a straw man that Pochettino is, is trying to pedal in the Levy line or that these clubs are only interested in the TV money, that, the, that finishing fourth is, a, is an achievement for its own sake. It's not. The reason they want to finish fourth and get into the Champions League is so they have access to the money and to the prestige that means they can get the players that in years to come means they can win, either have a squad to cope on four fronts or whatever, or they can win one of the Premier League and the Champions League, which I think is what matters most to most fans of those clubs. So as a, as a business, finishing the top four, as football clubs as a business, finishing top four is hugely important for yes. their development in the future. But for the fans... It is also winning. important for the same reason. It's important to the fans to finish in the top four because that means they can then their team might get, get better sufficiently mm-hmm. to either challenge for the Premier League, win the Champions League, whatever, or have more of a chance of winning the FA Cup. So in the short term, I think it's fine to disregard the cup a little bit and say, the, the, the Edo thing is a weird thing to say, but it's fine in the short term to say, look, this doesn't prove anything. Winning the FA Cup wouldn't change the trajectory this club is on. What annoys me is that I think it's a falsehood to pretend that all these clubs are interested in is the TV money, as though they then take that money, that fourth place, those Champions League group games, and absorb them and they disappear. They don't. They put that money into players. That's the idea. And Spurs have been able, through finishing in the top four, to attract, not last summer, but to, not only to attract a better quality of player, but to keep better quality players, which means that we are now talking about Spurs as a team that has the quality to win trophies. That is the point of getting in the top four. But how long, if we are going to continue along the Spurs and what Maurizio Pochettino said, line of discussion, which perhaps is clouding the, the bigger picture of, of the FA Cup becoming a little bit devalued or the idea of winning trophies somehow becoming devalued, how established the Spurs need to be or yeah. any club need to be as a Champions League club before they realise that there is also perhaps a responsibility to try and win silverware because the reality is you're not going to win the Champions League. You're unlikely to win the Premier League on the basis of resources. So finishing in the Champions League places is great, but if you can add a League Cup or an FA Cup to that, that enhances that. I mean, there's not a single or very, very few football fans at the beginning of the season would have had Spurs finishing outside the top four, a lot of them would have had, had them pushing City for the title or at least finishing the top three. So I don't quite buy into this idea that Spurs need to keep pushing to be a team that qualifies for the Champions League. Surely they've already got to a stage where that is almost a given. So come on, there's got to be some ambition beyond that. That's why I thought Tottenham are in that position now. But then is it with, with United's improvement as well? Is, is the worry that actually this is not, we're not guaranteed to finish top four? I, I do agree with you. I think Tottenham are in a position where that should be achievable if they play half decently. So then they, they've got the luxury of, of maybe expanding into the cup competitions, but losing three of your best players. It's not that they put a really weakened team out against you Palace. Put a team out that he I think a lot, of the, a lot of the top sides are putting out strong in the League Cup, in the FA Cup as well. They are taking it a lot more seriously because they know we're probably guaranteed to finish top six 
probably top four. So we can then use our players yeah. to try and win some, so have, the, have the balance and try and win as much as is, is actually possible. Which is why we might be getting a little bit bogged down with Tottenham. And actually, it's other clubs a little bit further down the Premier League table who should be drawing our fire. Those who are not chasing European places through their league finish and certainly aren't going to get dragged into a relegation fight. So why are the likes of Everton, Leicester, West Ham not taking the cup seriously? Because that is something to keep mm. your season burning. That is something to aim for. And that is something to give your fans a thrill, a trophy at the end of a season. Look at Wigan. Wigan won the FA Cup and got relegated. I don't think there's a single Wigan fan that would have it any other way. You cannot take that day out at Wembley away from them. You cannot take away from them the fact that they won a major trophy in that season against all the odds. And they were quite, they've been quite happy bumping around between the Championship and League One because that moment of glory is the thing that has lingered the longest in the memory. And the, that's perhaps, even though we're going to now move on from Tottenham, why... Maurizio Pochettino said what he said. He was probably trying to say something along the lines of, from my point of view, a short-term Philip is not something that sustains me as manager of Tottenham or sustains the club long-term. I'm not interested in having that short-term excitement and the big day out, especially because they play there anyway, um, but that big day out and then sacrificing something in the long term. I think that's what he meant by Bill's egos. It makes you feel good, but it only makes you feel good for a short amount of time. If there is a then longer term hangover as a result of that, then that is not something he's prepared to so counter. I was with. going to mention Leicester winning the Premier League title. Has that actually helped them or did their players get it again? It's an incredible achievement what they did, but did a lot of their players with new contracts get an overinflated sense of how good they were or winning the Premier League is different from winning the FA Cup that over that long period of time. Did the, did the Leicester players, are they justified in maybe feeling good about themselves and saying, well, actually now it doesn't really matter what we do from here on in because we've won the Premier League. And f since they won that Premier League, th they've been so average. And I, I, I do feel they're better than, than most of the sides outside the top six. Yet we haven't seen it from them. So have they suffered? Like, the, 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 getting carried away with winning the Premier League title the next two or three seasons have drifted by where they haven't really got the, anywhere the parallel with Leicester is, it, and Everton in the FA Cup in 95 is probably quite a valid one that it, it, what Ferdy always used to talk about was that the very best players would win something forget it and then want to win it again yes, the next day is the renewal of hunger yeah, if you don't think you're going to win again because that was so crazy then, then it's going to be very difficult to renew that's that where, that's where my promise 97-98 are still remembering winning the cup for Everton in 95 I never got I never got past 95 and it showed yeah it's my still footballing brick wall you're still listening to Sleeper yeah yeah yeah. I, need, still to, think, I need to move on you still think Dirty Dens in EastEnders isn't he no he's died about three times no way yeah See, I, I once saw on. Leslie Grantham, who played Dirty Den, outside of, uh, when I was writing the book The Mister by E.L. James. Uh, <laughs> I am um, available now on Amazon. The, um, I, I, I wrote most of it in a cafe in London where we were living at the time. And I once was sat outside uh, writing in a nice summer's day and this big Range Rover started parking. I thought, didn't, barely didn't take any notice of it. And then it rammed into the car in front. <laughs> And I looked up and I was like, I'm sure he did that on purpose. And then he did it again. And it was Leslie Grantham saying hello to a friend. <laughs> That's how he greets people. He didn't do any damage. I want to make sure, I don't want to get sued by Leslie Grantham. But that was how he greeted um, this person that he knew was by just clipping his car. It's so if he sees somebody he knows walking down the street, what's he got up and headbutt them? Yeah, I think so, I presume so. <laughs> just nuts them. The, the, so this is, 
Yeah, the parallel between Leicester and Everton, I think, is probably that it shows the level, and since this isn't meant as a joke, but it probably shows the level of the players, that when you have truly great players, they are able to switch off the, their self-satisfaction and think, right, the way that I proved that I was worth that is by going and winning it again. I think what Leicester's, Leicester's players did as Everton's in the... Um, in the as Everton's did in the in '95, is the, the winning of the trophy probably became vindication for everything, and it, that was their crowning achievement. So they they haven't been able to kick on from that. Because I agree, Leicester are probably seventh or eighth or ninth best team in the country, um, but they they have sort of accepted that fate as they have that one glory. Mm-hmm. In the same way as Everton, that Everton team that won the cup never needed to think right, we're going to use this to to kick on and, and win the title because. Apart from the left back, they weren't good enough. We, we, that's, we, we overachieved. By the way, you don't need to worry about any libel issues from Leslie Grantham. He passed away last year. Oh, did he? Yes. Whiplash. <laughs> I genuinely hadn't noticed that. That was really sad. It he's, was sad until he's up, Chinch said whiplash. He's up there in heaven, ramming cars. <laughs> and Ethan Dobson smashed into the back of him saying a really big hello. <laughs> but the, the other thing I wanted to say on the kind of wrong thinking, people assume it's about winning the cup or winning a cup. It isn't. From, a, from the fans' point of view. I think that's a misunderstanding of what fans want. Because what fans want, and it's the clubs are misunderstanding this and mis, kind of misconstruing it and ignoring it. What fans want are memories. That's what football's about. That's why, we, that's why we love it. And what a cup run, even if it's just the semi-final, can do is give you a memory. And obviously the big day out at Wembley, in inverted commas, is, is the kind of apex of that. But it's also the journey of being there. And... It, so when Watford got to the semis in 2016, when they lost to Palace, mm-hmm. Palace then lost to United, is that 2016? Uh, that was 2016, yeah. yeah. You, you have, the, the, the rest of us have forgotten it, but I bet the Watford fans who went to the games probably quite enjoyed it, and that's kind of the point. And I think the clubs, by, by understandably looking at it and thinking, what, they're looking at it, as if you put a, a nice spin on it, the clubs are looking at it and thinking, what our fan, fans want is a team that can compete. And the way to do that is either to get into the Champions League or to maintain our Premier League position. So let's not detract from that. I agree with Steve completely that it becomes a kind of endless process, this endless kind of we're getting there, we're getting there, we're getting there, which is in everybody's interest because if you're getting somewhere, you can't be sacked because you're taking, you're taking them on a journey. You don't get rid of the driver midway through. The, as long as you can show progress, then, then you're safe. But I think that in doing that, they forget that what fans want are memories. And for all that the FA Cup isn't the, as important as it used to be, the League Cup isn't important at all, basically. It's a reserve tournament until the semi-finals when one of Manchester City, Chelsea or Manchester United wins it. Then you, you end up with, you end up with these, these seasons that just sort of drift off. And I think the problem is, if you look at the Everton team that went out to Millwall, that was their strongest team. And I'm not, not sure West Ham made that many changes when they lost to Wimbledon. The they, they made quite a few changes, but it was still, still it was it's still not like they're putting side. the kids. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Premier League squads often are now that yeah. they have 20 to 25 players who you would consider to be first, first team. And, and that makes it nothing. all the more unforgivable, actually. Yeah. That you, you shouldn't. We, we, we almost let them off because, oh, they made six changes. Yeah, but you should still be good enough to beat AFC. Well, also, those players should really want to win. Yeah, yeah. So they should really want to keep playing. It's like the reserve goalkeepers. That is literally your chance, lads. Take it. The But the... the the problem isn't the, the strength of the sides they're putting out. It's the mentality that they've, in, they've sort of inculcated in the club where the players kind of know it doesn't really matter. And that's the problem. So Marco Silva, to his credit, puts out basically a first-choice team at Millwall for what you know is going to be a really difficult, and as it turned out, given what happened around it, disgraceful game. The, and and that, that's all he can do. He presumably set them up right. He'll have done all the work. He won't have slack. It's not like Marco Silva had like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday off. Thought, ah, it's only the cup. Don't really care. I, I, I'm going to leave Duncan Ferguson in charge of training this week. Actually, so I'm not bothered. 
he did everything he could. It, but the 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 mentality within the team was this probably isn't this isn't so important that I'm going to challenge this championship player for a header. And one of the big reasons why it's become less important and why that mood permeates through Premier League clubs is an awful lot to do with the prize money at stake. Mm. In the winning the FA Cup, £3.6 million to the FA Cup winners. So if you're Leicester, West Ham, Everton, the difference between finishing 8th or 13th if you become distracted by a cup run is probably worth in excess of £10 million worth of prize money. And that is kind of how the manager, at least, is going to be judged at boardroom level about the kind of funds he's bringing in. That can, as you talked about, being reinvested in, in players. Yeah, great, you won the FA Cup, but we can't really do much with £3.6 million worth of prize money. You finish four or five places further up the Premier League table, well, we can buy a decent player for that sort of money, or that covers wages of two or three decent players for a year. It, it, the romance has been taken out. The magic still exists for clubs outside of the Premier League, mm. the romance has sort of been lost by the fact that decisions need to be made on the basis of the longer term and, and winning that piece of silverware, the FA Cup or the League Cup, does not service the, service the clubs in the same way. I think it's really interesting though that the, the romance does exist for the teams outside the top, the top flight until the fifth round when they all start saying we want Man United away, which is, that, which is basically the club, it's the players saying I want my day out at a stadium I've always dreamed of playing out, which is totally fair enough and it's the club sort of thinking, well, actually, what we want now is the money and then we can, we can use that. So at some point, the romance dissipates and it doesn't become romantic at all. Who was, was a player interviewed on the radio, a Wimbledon player interviewed on, on Five Lives, the squad, uh, the other day, who said that he wanted Chelsea or Man United away. And I thought it was really interesting that he wasn't saying, look, I want, I want Doncaster at home or you know, Barnet or Brentford or whoever because that means we've got a decent chance of getting to the quarterfinals. And then you are one game from Wembley. He was saying, I want my... That was obviously kind of subconscious. That was kind of enough for the lower league players. And to be honest, I think that's better for the competition. Then the best example is 2008 when you got Portsmouth Cardiff in the final. No one wants. You, you want shocks until the semi-finals, and then you want four good teams in the semi-finals. Yeah, and you you don't want a good semi-final and a crap semi-final. You I want. No, you were chief executive of the football association. <laughs> yeah. no, but that, that you you as in yeah, yeah, it yeah. is it 2000, is considered. Yeah. 2008 World uh, FA Cup, 2002 World Cup, 2004 Champions League. Too many shocks. The giant killers need to leave. There comes a point where the giant killers need to realise that they're not wanted anymore and leave the party. But in the same way as you were talking about earlier with Tottenham and the uncertainty of the cup, and that's why their focus is on finishing the top four in the league, I suppose for those smaller clubs as well, the uncertainty starts creeping into it. They'll probably sense, or they've had their little bit of luck along the way to get that far. So actually, do you know what? We're going to cash in now and we want United away, we want Chelsea away because, you know, we could lose yeah. at Doncaster. We could lose at AFC Wimbledon. So let's not worry too much about that. Yeah, you'd, 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 you'd say to Noel that you'll take the banter's offer. That's yeah. basically what, yeah, it's fifth before round. Before he's right. even opened the box. Yeah, before he's, I'll yeah. take the fifth round, Noel. That's what I'm playing for. <laughs> it but is the, indeed deal. I was just, just going to very quickly say that this, this is the point where the magic of the FA Cup, as is advertised and marketed by all broadcasters who have rights to the FA Cup in perpetuity and not just current broadcasters um, as they are, but the pragmatism takes over very, very quickly indeed. And whether it is right that that happens or not, um, is another discussion because you're then talking about having big marketable um, audience generating teams involved in the latter part of the competition, which is what you want. You want the shocks at the beginning because you want to be able to have those kind of 
people who are partly interested in the competition watching to see if there is a shock if they're not invested in the big team in particular but then later on you want that kind of latent audience to come back to watch big team against big team because something is at stake yeah so the magic is all very well but that's that magic does not exist. And the people who call and conjure up the magic of the FA Cup and use it to market the FA Cup and to get people to have eyeballs on their games, they are well aware that they don't want any magic beyond the fifth round. The, 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 the thing that, and Steve alluded to this before, the thing that really annoys me with the FA every year in the FA Cup, I want probably a list of about five or six teams to win it, and they are Leicester, West Ham, Everton, Newcastle, love Newcastle to win the Cup, um, Southampton probably in that, in that same bracket, the those teams who shouldn't be getting relegated, the Everton's of their day of this day. <laughs> well, yeah, but the, but, but cru- crucially, the teams who've got big enough supports that it would be a major thing for them, and that Wembley would be amazing on Cup final day, and the teams to whom that would be the ultimate achievement in in kind of reality in looking at modern football realistically, they're not going to win the Premier League, except for Leicester, obviously, who did. The and the, what really annoys me is most of those teams by January, February are in a position to take the cup seriously and not, not only to put out strong sides, but for the manager and the owners to say, listen, lads, we don't care if we finish 13th as opposed to 8th because we, re- we recognise that not only is there a massive like, moral and spiritual benefit to winning the cup, but also we'll make money off the back of it. Because if you win the cup, there must be indirect financial benefits to being a cup winner. That's true, but there is also the pragmatism comes in because of the timing of everything. That Yes, they might be able to say, well, 13th is fine, 8th is better, but I'd rather finish 13th and win the Cup. You're going to have to make these decisions in January and February Mm. about doing that, which is only ascertained in May. And so if yeah, you but are West Ham can't be worried now about getting getting regulated. But there are are those teams who have nothing about their future decided at this point of the season where they're having to make a decision. And therefore, they are pragmatic to the extent that they probably don't really make a decision about anything. They try and get through in the cup, but they're not necessarily prioritising that because they, if there's even an ounce of peril about their Premier League future, they're not going to do it. When, when we started this podcast way, way, way back, episode number five is uh, an FA Cup runner, Poison Chalice. And we named all those teams who found it very, very difficult to try and have an FA Cup run and also deal with everything that was happening um, in the league because those two things cannot often live together very easily. It happens in the Champions League for those who are contending for the Premier League sometimes as well. You say you cannot do both. And if you are making a decision and you have to make a decision, if you say to a team in January, you now... Do not know if you're going to get what you want in the Premier League, but you have to decide whether to not prioritise that because of a cup run, which is one in a 128 chance. Very rarely are you going to choose that latter option. Well, I did the the League Cup tie between Leicester and Man City, and I was amazed at the team that Leicester put out because, okay, there maybe is a slight threat of relegation for Leicester, but not really, surely not really. But yet Schmeichel didn't play, Morgan didn't play, Vardy didn't play against a relatively weakened City team. And all the comments were from Leicester fans as well is, why are we putting this team out? Is, is Claude Puel, are Leicester still worried about the, the five-point? Maybe if we do put out a stronger team, we might lose a couple of those players. That might mean we might drop a few places in the Premier League. What, what drives Leicester at that point to not put out their strongest team in a quarter-final of a League Cup when they're, say, seventh or eighth in the Premier League? So they might ultimately end up finishing 13th. But by putting out their best team against City, they have a chance to get in the semi-final and beyond. So is it the worry, as you said, about dropping places in the Premier League and the amount of money that they would lose? That overrides. That's simply what it is. And Claude Puel will be encouraged 
Or will, will he say, or will he discuss with the owners about what team he puts out? Or will he say, I think that's what they'd want, so I'm going to put out a team, a weakened team, because the Premier League positions are all important to Leicester? I did a Rory Smith and stupidly got involved with a Twitter dis- in a Twitter discussion with somebody about this, a, a, Leicester, like me, yeah. a, a Leicester fan, who basically was justifying Claude Puel's selections for that League Cup game against Manchester City and the FA Cup tie that they lost at Newport on the basis of it didn't matter. If he finishes four or five places further up the Premier League as a result of not being involved in cup competitions, that's all right by him because he sees that money getting reinvested. Mm-hmm. I happen to think that is wrong. I don't understand that position at all. I would want that moment. Maybe a Leicester fan having won the Premier League as recently as they have don't feel that they need that moment at the moment, but other clubs of a similar standing, similar status certainly do. And it gets us to the point, I guess, as to how are we going to make the cup competitions if we are to continue to have two, which probably is, you know, is a bit of a old fashioned way of going about things anyway. How are we going to make them more prestigious? How are we going to make all clubs involved want to survive for longer? Is it to do as football so often does, throw money at the problem and increase the prize money? Or is it to make better places within European it's, football? Surely it's down to the team's mentalities, how they view the competition, because they're actively taking the decision to say league position for Premier League teams is more important. Leicester, that's a classic example, of doing well in the cup or putting out the strongest teams that they can, because they're clearly... And even the fans, the fans are buying into that as well and saying, you know, I'd rather not risk winning silverware for finishing five places higher in the Premier League. I'm quite surprised by that because you don't see Leicester getting relegated in the next maybe five to ten years. So they might finish 13th and get to a final of a cup, maybe win it, maybe not. The next, they might finish ninth, then they'll finish 12th, then they'll finish 8th. Surely over a period of time, OK, there's money to be, to be won and lost, but they're not going to get relegated, are they? So Leicester aren't they? getting relegated next season. Yes, no, they're, they're not. They're not going to get relegated. Leicester also have League Cups under Martin O'Neill as well, which mm. isn't that long ago. So they do have some, some recent memory. But the, the other problem for teams like Leicester and those just below the pack who are naturally contending for everything and above those who are naturally fighting for relegation is that if they see that the top six are consistently yeah. interested, yeah. Yeah. they see a barrier and they are genuinely not going to sacrifice something again long term for the the possibility of running up to the semi-final facing an in-form Everton with Andy Hinchcliffe in their side and just going to get blown out of the water it's pointless if they have to beat three say of the top six to get to a final win the cup are they going to say genuinely am I going to pour all my resources into this and to, to the to the extent that it's what are the chances of it happening well the chances of it happening are relatively high because First of all, I would say that, win, again, winning the cup is not what the point of it should be. It should be getting as far as you can, as that's what creates the memories. That football is not just about winning trophies. And I, don't, I, saw, a, I saw a Twitter conversation, Steve. I managed to stay out of it. Oh, congratulations. Some, Such maturity. It was someone talking about how if you, you don't understand what it's like being a football fan if you don't think that all that matters is winning trophies. And I think that's, that's totally wrong. That what matters is that the journey, is whether you have fun along the way. We're all fans because it's meant to be fun and we've lost sight of that. For That's definitely a different podcast. So I think the clubs have fundamentally misunderstand it. But if you look at recent years, and this, this season's a good example, Liverpool are out, Spurs are out, Arsenal are out, one of Chelsea and United are out. There's basically, so you can assume that City are going to get a semi-final spot unless they get United away in the next round or whatever. And that one of Chelsea United will take a semi-final spot. That means that you have a 50% chance of getting to the semi-final. There's, sorry, the 50% of the semi-final spaces are available. And there's a 50% chance that you're going to end up playing another kind of competition winner, effectively. 
to get there. So <laughs> effectively, but not literally. Well, you know, but you tw- you tw- I'm not being funny, but you tw- you would tw- end up with with Doncaster. And this is only as I went to Doncaster the other day. But you could end up with Doncaster Rovers in the semi-finals. It's not impossible. It depends on the draw. There is for if you're Wolves or Brighton or one of the other kind of random Premier League teams that are left in, and there's only I think there's only seven left in, yeah, or, yeah. A, or a West Brom or a Middlesbrough yeah. who are still there and or there. The natural chaos of events that we've talked in negative ways to potentially. Um, uprooting a Premier League team who fancies their chances, the natural chaos events can sometimes benefit everybody else because yeah. it uproots one of those Premier yeah. League teams who fancy their chances. You mentioned the Crystal Palace-Watford semi-final earlier, which and the only reason I knew it was from 2016 is because I'd looked at that as well because Crystal Palace were the one that stuck in my mind as being a team that had reached an FA Cup final mm. outside of the Big Six in recent times. Crystal Palace's route to the final that year was Southampton, Reading, yes, they beat Spurs, Stoke, Watford semi-final and it's going to be one of those sorts of years and to come back to what Hugh was talking about earlier about how those clubs outside the top six see the big clubs taking the cup competition seriously so think well we're not going to get our opportunity well then you know City have cruised through or been helped on their way through to the League Cup final by virtue of Leicester playing a second string team and then getting Burton in the semi-finals if Leicester had, had gone for it maybe City's enthusiasm for that game would have been diminished ever yeah. so slightly but you can't basically just part the Red Seas for these big clubs and by fielding weaker teams on the assumption they're going to get there they're being helped on their way by that attitude but also yeah. we talk about the Premier League teams and outside of the top six how they approach it but also that's filtering down to the top six in the championship yeah. as well because yeah. they realise the money that's at stake from getting to the Premier League so if you look at the teams that you can understand that top, absolutely more. but again it's the same in League One getting into the championship it's the same it filters down it's not as if Kind of the, the reason to play football for teams in the Championship and Leagues 1 and 2 is to try and win the FA Cup or win the League Cup. They're thinking again about promotion and that then becomes their most important thing. I think it's fair enough if you are going for something else to disregard the cup. I think we've m- probably most of us would, would understand if you're going for the title, going for the Champions League, trying to avoid relegation, going for promotion, whatever it is. That if you have another, another direct priority, you, you maybe don't like it, but you do understand it. It's the teams who've got nothing else to play for that annoys, annoys me. In answer to Steve's question, very quickly, about how you improve these competitions. One, I think I think Wolves, for example, winning the FA Cup this year might give it a real shot in the arms. A club like that, huge fan base, it would mean the world to the to the team to do it. They're good enough to do it. That would be incredibly you'd hope that the example would be powerful for the teams like Leicester for Everton to say actually we want a piece of that. The other thing you could do, the lead cup teams like does it early, it finishes early. You could play the first rounds of the lead cup, because you know the teams are going to be in it. <laughs> in pre-season and you could finish the competition by Christmas that wouldn't be a bad idea, bad idea and to borrow an idea from Gabriel Marcotti on the rival The Game podcast you could get rid of the first two or three rounds of the FA Cup in January you could play them all in, you could d- give the lead a break and play them all in January and effectively say to the teams if you want a winter break you have one if not there's a, there's a place in the FA Cup quarterfinals waiting for you probably too radical to get rid of one of the cups even though there should probably be an adult conversation about that at some point. So maybe the solution is, do you know what? If you're going to have two cup competitions, you've got to throw better prize money at it. You know, three and a half million quid for winning the FA Cup is piecemeal by comparison to the kind of money that's floating around. If you say FA Cup winners, 20 million quid, then that is the incentive for those mid-table Premier League sides to take it seriously rather yeah. than trying to edge a few further places up the table. And you seriously think that less teams like that would... would, would would change the way that they, the, the teams yeah, that they put if, out if that was the case. Because if, if Leicester's they... mentality is that by finishing five places further yeah. up the Premier League table, that earns us an extra 10 million. Mm. Well, if you win the cup, that's 20 million. So it's a gamble worth making. Yeah. And the other thing probably is, is with the, you know, is with the League Cup, do we 
introduce the Premier League sides at a later date? Do you introduce all 20 league, twenty Premier League sides to the League Cup at a later date at the at the, the last 32 stage and the rest of the Football League plays off for the, the final 12 places? Therefore, you're kind of... You, you don't want to kowtow to the demands of the big clubs, but maybe if you're giving them a little bit... If you're saying, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll give you an extra week here and there in terms of the Cup competitions on the basis that, and we'll throw some more money at it, take it seriously, that might just bring back some of the magic. To and the, surely to the, the Championship and Leagues 1 and 2, they want to play against Premier League teams. So yeah, there's, there's payday, probably, yeah. yeah, absolutely for the payday. Um, and Chinch, obviously, to uh, finish where we started, um, there is a back payment of £20 million for you for winning the Cup in 1995 because Wait you, minute, you no. won the Cup was a squad of, was it eight, would it be 18? Yeah, it's 11 players on a football team, isn't Correct. it? Correct. I think we had seven subs. So 18, if, if I took, I'm not going to be greedy, I'll take 12 million. <laughs> and we, no, 15. And we'll, um, and we'll split the rest between the, uh, the other non-playing members. Uh, it is time for Nevermind Jack and Ori, what a soccer story. This is when Andy tells us a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. Is it about the FA Cup in 1995? Because apparently it's, I've heard no, recently that you were involved. No, it's not. That, that's God that's a that. story for another day. I was in the... This came to me when I was in the doctors before I went in for my discussion on the reduction surgery. And <laughs> You're, you've worked hard on those moobs. I have my pecs, yes. And um, naturally, when you're in a doctor's waiting room, the first thing that comes to your mind is, is hard men. And I don't, we don't see them these days. We don't see these real tough nuts. Football's not really full of tough nuts. You know, these kind of psychopathic at midfielders. No, because you're, you're an experienced man of the world. You know football from, from way back I'm when to, to work today. Why, why Chinty is doing like a, like a Benny Hill version no, of no, no, there's, there's not at all. a euphemism. I'm trying to put it into context where the idea came to me. It sprang into my head in the doctor's surgery. Yeah. Hard men. And it just got me thinking about the, the kind of hard men slash lunatics that yeah. I came across during my career. So I just had a little think back and... The first one that came to mind, I don't know whether you've ever heard of this guy, Billy Whitehurst. Yes, Hull. At Hull, but he yeah. played for a whole plethora of clubs. But there's actually a quote. I, I went on to um, Wikipedia. I don't know whether you've oh. ever used this. No. Excellent. And um, <laughs> said about Billy Whitehurst, active during the 80s and 90s, he really was. His robust like style of play attracted much notoriety and he is considered by many to be the hardest player apart from Andy Hinchcliffe to have played the game now when I was a kid I played against when he was at Sunderland mm. and I was in my formative year before the glory years of 95 I was only 17-18 when I forced my way into the Man City team we played Sunderland and Billy Whitehurst's legend you grew up knowing you don't really want to go anywhere near Billy Whitehurst now he was a centre forward so on that occasion I couldn't play any further away from him if I tried. I definitely played left back. Yeah. You know, you meant to get round on the cover and help out centre-halves. Not if Billy Whitehurst's on the pitch, because his elbows had a long reach. Right. He famously used to offer referees out for fights in the car park <laughs> after games. Seriously, he was an absolute... I'm, I'm, I'm not hoping he's dead. But because saying these things, I don't want to you're, arouse you're his anger. No. Because the Whitehurst family, presumably he wasn't on his own. No. There might be a, a whole plethora of them, and plethora and it, again, who and might it, come after me and want to get me. If you're listening, get in touch. But he was, uh, he was a wild man. So Billy Whitehurst, and then moving on to the, the glory days at Everton, 
Barry Horn yes. and Joe Parkinson. Yes. They were the archetypal dogs of the war. The dogs of war. Now, uh, there's and a... you were the... I was the Chihuahua of Destiny. Correct. There was a game, Wales against Germany. And go onto YouTube and have a look at this. I, I can't remember what year it was, but the, the game kicks off. And they're... It's, no, but if you put Wales against Germany, Barry Horn tackle. I say tackle. It is the, the, not the best double-footed lunge you've ever seen. No. But literally from the kickoff, they knock it wide. The ball gets knocked back in field. Barry makes an initial challenge on one German player. The ball breaks halfway between him and another German player. And you have to see it. He launches himself in, double-footed, and then gets up and looks at the referee as if that's absolutely fine. And the German is in pieces. But this is literally five seconds into the match. But, but the thing with Barry is, and Joe Parkinson, they could take it as well as give it out. They were incredibly tough, and they did put their foot in, and they overstepped the mark occasionally. But they took a few knocks as well, and they never complained. And that's to me, is the sign of a true hard man. Yeah. That's why I like kicking people, but didn't like Roy Keane Did you the pumper? going for the pumper, because I felt that was unfair. I should be allowed to kick people, but I shouldn't be getting kicked. Barry Holder... A chemistry teacher now. He is famously very university educated. What do you think his favourite element is? Um, Barium. Because he probably sent a lot of his uh, opponents to the hospital to have x-rays and the like. I see. But anyway, he was... was, And he always had... Barry Horn, I'd never understood this with Barry Horn. And most footballers always had black toenails. Right. Because they probably had their feet trod on a lot because they made lots of tackles. Where I was a defender... Never had a black toenail in my whole career. <laughs> Maybe that tells you. So. Or oh, the toenails would fall off. Did Barry Horn have well. black toenails? Yes, he did. Yeah. Yes, and probably still has them to this day. So there was those two, and Joe Parkinson had the biggest calves you've ever seen in your life. He didn't have baby cows. On his legs, <laughs> he had the biggest calves. I, how on earth he, he got them, I have no idea. Into his socks? I didn't, yes, I don't know how he actually got them on. Because his calves were absolutely normal. Maybe that's why he, he was able to cover those shoes. Like a... Who's in the Lord of the Rings? There was the with the the dwarves. They were very potent over short distances. <laughs> Going into Chinch's reverie. Now. This is he was very competitive over short distances. If if you were to run ten meters, you'd be able to run away from him. But if you were in kind of the dwarf kind of Lord of the Rings, two meters, you were you were end. He was going to end you. Right. Because his calves must have given him that thrust to make the double-footed challenge of which he was so famous. And then one more at Sheffield Wednesday, Peter Atherton. Yes. Peter Atherton. You're the opposite fullback. He played, he played right back. He was our captain. And again, made of granite. Right. Which slightly affected his football abilities. Yes. But <laughs> you, you, did, you didn't run a run headlong into Peter Atherton because he would not give. He was like a concrete bollard. So anyway, there we go. Billy Whitehurst, Joe Parkinson, Barry Horn. And Peter Atherton, what I should do, I've done my best and worst 11s, I should do a hard nut 11. I'm that sure I'll be, be able to come with a hard nut 11. And you certainly wouldn't be the left back in that one. <laughs> I would. <laughs> Strong work, Andrew. Thank you very much Thank indeed. you. Uh, we leave with a reminder of how to get in touch at setpiecemenu on Twitter, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Steve, Rory and to Andy and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. He did that faster than normal, didn't he? Do you think that's just he's got to go? Um, has he got to go? He does got yeah. to go. Has he got somewhere better to be? The BBC awaits yeah. the whole corporation. that They have dealt with Stephen already today. Now he hands the torch to me and I pass it on to the afternoon shift. Have they not got anybody else who can spoon out the lasagna? <laughs> you, 
why do you have to rush in there? Um, because I'm an incredibly high-profile and very talented television presenter. Available for hire. <laughs> He's yes. not actually due in for two hours, but uh, because of the makeup situation. Isn't <laughs> yes. it, in a bit, yeah. I do my own makeup before I leave, and then they just touch it up. It, it, instantly, on, on breakfast this morning, which is what I was doing, uh, they, oh, they were... They were oh, oh, That's a bigger no, show, no, isn't they, it? They, it's, it's a yeah. much bigger show. Yeah. They, they, were, uh, they were marking the 150th anniversary of the periodic table of elements. No, they were And somebody did actually ask during the course of the discussion... What's your favourite isotope? Was it, Dan, <laughs> was it Dan Walker who asked that? No, no, this is on the radio. Oh, on the radio. Was it Nicky Campbell? No, Nick, uh, Nicky Campbell is in, in hospital with kidney stones. Oh, that's not really oh, funny. Very dramatic.